I want you to know there were so many more photos that were supposed to go into it, but they were going so fast. We were having a hard time, like, even focusing in on them. And it was, like, it was a great, like, grieving that was happening in the offices. We're like, oh, we can't put that one in. We don't have enough time. And, but, of course, we, we know that those are just pictures. The truth is the stories and the families and the people that are behind those pictures, that's the key to everything that's been happening at Messiah and that will happen at Messiah in the future. Those stories are, are even so much more precious and one thing I definitely got uh, from a lot of that video, Pastor Chuck, you were so young. Oh, 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 just adorable. I love it. All right, so this, uh, this series, this is our story. This is about the 35th anniversary of Messiah. This is where we've been. This is what we're doing. And then hopefully we tap into where God wants us to go. And one thing I can say about a church, and I think it's a, a great way to look at a church, great way to look at a Christian school like Messiah, is judge us by the people who are at the front door. And I guarantee you, if you walk into our church offices during the week and you meet Julie, or if you meet Sandy, or if you walk into our school offices during the week and you meet Sarah, those people who are at the front desk, those people who are answering the calls, they have the joy of God all over them. And it's the thing that I think we're most proud of, is that the, the people who are those first faces, they love this place, they love all of you, and they love the Lord. And when that starts, it just becomes infectious. And I, and I think that encapsulates a lot of what Messiah has been. Messiah has such a great history. But you know what? So does the church. The church has a great and amazing history. And if you think about what started as, as 12 guys who were following a rabbi, became a few hundred after those three and a half years. And then it's thousands by the time that Peter preaches his first sermon at the beginning of the book of Acts. And then it took off from there. In just a few hundred years there were millions of Christians, and now today, there's billions of Christians in the world. The church is an amazing success story. And so the question is, why doesn't it feel that way? Why doesn't it feel that way? Why does it feel like so often that, that church, it, it's not very relevant for our everyday life? Like, yes, we know lots of theological stuff, and we know that God is up to something in the world, then why is it that so few people seem to be listening? Why is it falling on deaf ears? Like, nobody's listening to us anymore. And part of the problem is sometimes we fail to understand the times we live in. That's when faith doesn't feel relevant anymore. And yet we know that faith, that Christianity, that Jesus is more needed today than ever before. Maybe you've heard the, the phrase, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, a sailor's delight. Well, that's actually a phrase that Jesus said. Maybe, maybe Jesus invented the phrase, and today, I want to turn to Matthew 
chapter 16 in the scriptures, and I want this scripture where Jesus is speaking to guide us. And look how it begins. It begins with a trap. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they came to Jesus, and they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. This is God's word. And of course, the sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking about is Jesus' tomb. Just like Jonah would be in the belly of a fish for three days, only be, to be given a second chance at life, Jesus would do the same in his tomb. These religious leaders, they wanted a sign, which, which means they wanted a miracle. Like, hey, if we're going to listen to you anymore, we want you to do miracles on demand for us to give us what we want. But they were missing the most important sign of all. You are a master at reading signs, at least some signs. We all are. Like if you have your driver's license more than a few days, you're probably a master at reading road signs. It's not like you have to read the word stop or spell out the letters. You, you just see it by its appearance. You know how to read the signs of your friends. When you have a close friend, they don't even have to say anything. You can just see how they're feeling just by looking at them. If you've ever been a, a waiter, somebody probably trained you on your first day and they said, hey, when you see a crumpled up napkin on top of the plate, that, that's a sign that they're done. Either offer them dessert or offer their check. You gotta pick up on that. See, the thing is, we pay attention to what we pay attention to. Like, you've just purchased a new car. You drive your car out of the dealership, and as soon as you hit the road, something happens, right? What happens? Depreciation. They say, they say depreciation could be um, in the neighborhood of $3,000 in the first minute, and that's at a minimum. Uh, I call the smell of a new car the most expensive cologne in the world. Oh, it's so intoxicating. And it lasts about a month. But did you know that new car smell is actually toxic off-gassing? Ugh. In fact, it makes some people so nauseous they can throw up just by being in a new car. The body is reacting to this. So it's not just the car payments that are making you sick to your stomach. It's, it's actually the off-gassing. Um, you begin, something else happens though. Something else happens besides the depreciation. When you buy a new car, you begin to see the new car that you bought all over the road, don't you? You notice them all the time. Now, I don't think people are buying the same car just to copy you, although you're very important people. But I don't think they're just copying you. No, nothing's changed except one thing. You spent money on that car. You spent time trying to find that car. And now you're paying attention to what you've been paying attention to. 
See, most disciples of Jesus are not as good at reading signs as we need to be. And the church hasn't always been good at reading signs. Those who are preoccupied with reading signs in the church today are always looking for signs of the ends of time. That's the only thing they care about is the end of time stuff. When's the world going to end? We're so worried about that that we miss the signs of how the Spirit is working in the world today. How the Spirit wants to direct your life today. What we need to be looking for is the work of the Spirit. You know, in Scripture, we only have two references to Jesus crying. I'm sure he cried many more times. But there's only two times that the gospel writers actually bring it up. Jesus cried for a person. And Jesus cried for a place. Jesus cried for a person, for his best friend, Lazarus, who had died. And when Jesus comes to the tomb, he knows, he knows he can, he can raise him to life. But he cried because death was not supposed to be this way. It was not supposed to be the option. God created us for life. And instead, because of sin in the world and sin that's inside of ourselves, we have to face death. So Jesus cried for a person. But he also cried for a place. When he came up to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he wept for a place. And he said, it's because they could not read the signs. They did not recognize the sign, the time of his visitation. The fact that the Savior of the world, their God and Creator had showed up. Jesus cries because they're not even recognizing it. They're missing it. They're not seeing it. Reading the signs of the Spirit's work was so important to Jesus that he wept. How many people have been waiting their entire lives for God to just give them a sign. And I think what the scripture is telling us is that God's been doing it the whole time. It's just our eyes aren't open and our ears are not open. My home is in the middle of defiance. Uh, land that was once owned by the Daniel Boone family. Uh, he died just a mile from my house. And my house is about three quarter miles off any road. So you're, you're so far away, often you, you don't hear any road noise or anything. And you're even, you're even further from any kind of cell phone signal. In fact, when I first moved there, for days, I couldn't call the movers to give them directions or anything. I had to come to work to be able to send emails. I had to come to work to be able to call my wife, which, just so you know, doesn't go over very well. They, they like you to be in touch. Um, and then we got Wi-Fi. And once Wi-Fi was in, everything was good because the signals of communication, they had been there the whole time. We just weren't dialed into it. I just couldn't get them. And suddenly I had all the libraries of the world in my hand. And suddenly I had Netflix and internet and I had television. I had movies. And this is really, really huge. And I could call my wife <laughs> and not be in trouble anymore. I think spirituality is like that for a lot of people. The signal's out there. 
God's saying something. They just can't get it. Or when they get it, they can't translate it. Because I believe that God has so much to say to everyone in the world. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for everyone in the world. And the church is supposed to get that signal out to them. Throughout scripture, God uses sign language to communicate relationship. Noah got a rainbow. Moses got a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The shepherds, they got a manger. The magi, they got a star. And even Pilate's billboard at the top of the cross was a sign of something that God was doing in the world. But people read that sign differently. See, Pilate, the sign was irony. To the religious leaders, it was blasphemous. But to followers of Christ, to Jesus' mom, that sign was truth. In fact, when Jesus turns water into wine or when he fed the 5,000 or when he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus didn't think of what he was doing as miracles. In the Gospel of John, they're called signs. Signs that God is active in the world. Where would the Magi have ended up if they didn't know which star to follow in the sky? It's a good thing they read the signs. You know, one of my favorite songs around Christmas time is We Three Kings. And then I was especially delighted a number of years ago when I found an old rendition of the song. And it's being done in Australia. And one of the singers is Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. Now, it's a grainy video. It's a really, really old video. But I wanted to play it for you anyways because it just brings me delight. Here we go. There he is. Here he comes. you love it? Wolverine sings opera. <laughs> oh, it just makes me so, and I love, and I love that carol. I love that carol. I love that song. But it's a little bit wrong because they weren't kings. They were Persian magi. They were interpreters of dreams and experts in astrology. They could read the signs in the sky, and they had the courage 
to make the long journey to meet Jesus. I mean, think about this. Pagan astrologers got to Jesus before the religious people did. Because they were reading the signs. Because they were paying attention. Because they thought there was more going on in the world than they had previously thought. The best evangelists are not attention getters. They are attention givers. The best evangelists pay attention to what God is up to in the world. And they pay attention to what's going on in your life, what you're going through. They look at how the Spirit is at work in your life. And if you're going to read the signs of the Spirit's work in someone's life, you have to accept some principles. This is from a book by author Leonard Sweet. You have to accept these five principles that, number one, human beings are created in the image of God. Do you believe this about people? Do you believe this about bad people, evil people, that they were created in the image of God? And yes, things go wrong, but if you start by seeing the Imago Dei, the image of God in people, it changes your whole posture and how you want to treat people. Number two, do you believe that God is already present in that person's life in the form of some burning bush or something that God is trying to get through to them? And yeah, so many people don't want to listen, won't listen, don't even hear it. But God's already out there working. Number three, that the best things about that person are blessings from God. And that the worst things about that person are arenas for God's redemption. Something that God can fix and God can heal. And then lastly, that people, all people, they're hungry for encouragement and love. And that they need help noticing the presence of the divine in their lives. Everybody's hungry for it. A lot of people turn off the antenna, but they are hungry for it, and they need love, and they need encouragement, and they need God. I want to show you a map of the area in Israel where Jesus did most of his ministry. It's actually two little names right, right here kind of in this dot. Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, is is in the tribe of Zebulun. And then Jesus did a lot of his ministry here along the Jordan River in the tribe of Issachar. And Issachar is my favorite tribe. And it's interesting because the one place that you don't see on this map is Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, the religious capital of Israel. Uh, that's down here. That's where all the religious leaders are. That's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees are hanging out. That's where the Sanhedrin is. That's where Pontius Pilate is. That's the important place. Jesus spends his time in the backwoods with backwoods kind of people in Galilee and in Nazareth where he grew up on the border of Issachar and Zebulun. One of the great miracles of the Old Testament happens in Issachar. When Elisha, the prophet, 
blessed the rich lady of Shunem with the birth of a child. And then after he dies, she comes complaining to him. And then Elisha is able to resurrect a son. He gives her a son, and he re-gives her her son. Did you know that Jesus re-performs this miracle for the widow of Nain in the same region, in the same place in Issachar, by resurrecting her son? Issachar is also where Jesus performed his first miracle, where he turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana. So, so why, why is Jesus redoing miracles in this place? And why is Jesus doing his first miracle in this place? What's so special about Issachar? And we find the answer in the Old Testament. This is how they talked about the Issacharians in 1 Chronicles. It says, these were men who understood the times. And then they knew what Israel should do. They could read their culture. And then they could make wise decisions. The tribe of Issachar had lots of religious scholars. And they were great evangelists. They shared their faith openly with everybody, including non-Jewish people. They were people who studied the scripture, but they also studied the world around them. And they knew what to do. They were great evangelists. They didn't just know the word of God. They knew what the word of God meant for everyday life. Each of the 12 tribes of Israel had a a special posture, a special mission that God put them in the world to do. Issachar understood God. They understood real people, normal people. They understood their struggles. They understood their needs. It was based on their ability to understand the times. And they had an ability to know what you're supposed to do. They could weave together theology in everyday life, which is one of our values here at Messiah. A church where faith and real life intersect. That's what the cross is. Where faith and your real life intersect. When we launched our vision exactly one year ago, we observed that the church had a real problem. Because we thought that the church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of our community. The local church is the hope of the world. Because the church is the body of Christ. And Jesus keeps telling us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so the problem isn't the world. Now, I know, I know, I know. Secularism. Communism, the media, Hollywood, boo-hoo-hoo, we feel sorry for ourselves. But the problem isn't the harvest. According to Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Church, we got to get to work. Church around the world, we got to get to work. The invitation today is not to come to church. The invitation is to be the church. And we find that in our vision. We say for too long, the church has been known for what it's against. Messiah wants to be known for what we're for. We are for our community. We are for our neighbors. We are for St. Charles. 505 years ago, Martin Luther posted a sign 
on the church door in Wittenberg. It said that the church had become an institution more interested in cash than Christ, more interested in politics than people, more interested in power than truth. And the stakes were high. Luther said the church was losing the gospel. The church was losing the gospel, that salvation is a free gift of God, received by grace through faith. This gift was won on the cross, and it was given from the tomb for all who believe, no matter what you've done. The gospel, God loves you. And Luther said the church was at risk of losing it. Missing it. Some people read his sign on the church door and they got excited. They were passionate. They wanted to help Luther translate the word of God so that everybody could hear it in their own tongue. They were excited about what God wanted to do in the world. And other people read the sign and they made death threats. That's the Reformation. And so the question for us is this. What does the Reformation look like today? What does the reformation of God's church look like in 2022? Pray about that. Talk about that in your groups. Talk about that with your family. How can the church make sure that we return to our first love, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we share it with everyone who needs to hear it? And I know a lot of people don't think they need to hear it, but they need to hear it. That's why Harriet Tubman said this, I have freed a thousand slaves, but I could have freed a thousand more if they just realized they were slaves. They don't see what's wrong. We have to help people read the signs of God's work in their lives. And that's what the tribe of Issachar was all about. All the tribes had a symbol. They had a coat of arms, if you will. And a symbol, the symbol was like a sign for them. And for the tribe of Issachar, it was a donkey. Now, a lot of people think donkeys are dumb. But they're actually one of the smartest animals in the world. In 2013, a study found that donkeys can learn and problem solve at the same pace as dolphins and smart dogs. Now, a horse is different. If you kick a horse enough, it'll run off a cliff. But if you do that to a donkey, it's going to sit down because it's stubborn, because it's smart. Just think about the story of Balaam in the Old Testament. His donkey would sit down. It wasn't going anymore. And Balaam was so mad, he started to whip the donkey and whip the donkey. And finally, God opened the donkey's mouth and the donkey said to Balaam, am I in the habit of ever disobeying you? And Balaam said, no. And then suddenly his eyes were open and he realized right in front of him on the road was an angel of the Lord with a sword in its hand. Because this smart donkey had just saved his life 
because he wasn't aware of the spiritual powers that were in front of him. He wasn't aware that the way he was going was the wrong way and that he had left the Lord in the dust, that he was ignoring what the Lord was putting on his heart. King David rode a royal she-mule, a female donkey, a queen donkey. King Solomon, when he would ride to Jerusalem, he rode in on a wild donkey. Most kings, they ride on war horses, a symbol of their military might. Donkeys, they're a symbol of peace, of God bringing peace into the world. When Jesus approached Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what did he ride? And what does that say to us about what Jesus is all about? He rode a donkey, and he's here to save. He's here to save the world. So if the version of Christianity you're familiar with doesn't seem like good news, maybe it's the wrong version. And perhaps judgmental religious people that you've met along the way, they are just as wrong today as they were back in Jesus' day. They didn't even know to go show up at the manger. They were failing to read the signs of the times. May the Messiah that is now 35 years old be open-eyed and open-handed so that we don't miss what the Spirit is up to in the world. Please stand for our blessing. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his favor upon you and give you peace. And may the next 35 years.